When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here and joining me from Pro Football Focus, Eric Eager. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. Eric, you just moved to the compound in Cincinnati to be full-time all the time with Pro Football Focus. How's that working out for you so far? It's pretty good, yeah. It'll be weird not having a first day of school for the first time in like 25 years. And also living in Cincinnati and not Wisconsin, so you upgrade on chili, downgrade on cheese. And I don't like cheese, so it's perfect. Oh, you lived in Wisconsin and didn't like cheese? A pretty resilient guy, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's that's how you <laughs> deal with adversity right there. Um, but you are a Minnesotan by trade, I guess, or by birth, correct? Yeah, I was a Vikings fan growing up by state law. Oh, right, of course. And we've definitely got a game to take a look at for when you were growing up a Minnesota Viking fan from 1994. But we will get to that at the end of the podcast, as you and I always do with an old Minnesota Vikings game. But the reason I wanted to talk with you, Eric, is based on a conversation we had on the air with the Mackey and Judd show, where each of us, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, and myself, we all ranked all 32 starting quarterbacks and with a couple of situations, I just guessed at who I thought was going to start in Cleveland for the New York Jets and for the Buffalo Bills, Arizona Cardinals. I just took a guess. And what I want to do is I want to give you my list. I'll just give the whole list off the top. And then I want to kind of go through it and give you some of my explanations. And we could talk about how pro football focus now grades quarterbacks, because I think everyone knows the one to a hundred grades, but you go so much deeper into this and have found kind of a system to cluster different quarterbacks on where they would rank in terms of tiers. So there's a, a lot to get into always with quarterbacks. Basically, I want you to grade my list as we go along. So I'm just going to give the whole list first, and then we can kind of go down it, okay? So I have, from the top, Tom Brady is number one, number two, Aaron Rodgers, three, Drew Brees, Four, Matt Ryan. Five, Andrew Luck. Number six is Russell Wilson. Seven is Ben Roethlisberger. Carson Wentz, number eight. 
number nine, Alex Smith, and Matt Stafford, 10. So I'm going to stop there. Top 10 quarterbacks, just instant reaction from you. How did I do? Yeah, each one of those guys, uh, with the exception of Luck, which we didn't play last season, was in one of our top two tiers a season ago. So I think you're on the right track with that. We had Ryan and Wilson, I think, a little bit higher than you. They were in our first tier last season, but I think with Ryan and Wilson, what you get is a little bit lower supporting cap, which we sort of control for. So I really do like that that first top ten. I, Stafford is somebody who maybe, you know, it depends upon the season, Smith as well, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I can't really argue with that top ten. Okay, so I had Matt Ryan number four, and you guys were even higher on him than that? Yeah, so last season, so weird, so Ryan was the MVP of the league in 2016. In 2017, he graded almost as well, but get this, on third down passes, 9%, 8 or 9% of his third down passes were dropped. Oh, wow. So, and that led all quarterbacks. Um, Case Keenum, weirdly, I think was in the bottom three. So again, just Case Keenum helped out by Diggs and Thielen, you know, umpteenth time. But, you know, so Ryan, so when you look at his statistics, those are drives that are done, right? So 50 yards of Ryan passes are sort of killed off by drops on third down, um, and 10% of third down passes, essentially. And, and to me, I think like that takes him, that puts him in the conversation of really good quarterbacks in the sense that you, just makes that down to like 5%, then, you know, he's extending drives, he's generating more yards, possibly more touchdowns, and so on and so forth. So for us, I think Ryan had a far better year on the process and and weaker year on the results, and the results are often not an indication of how good the quarterback is. So tell me how you can factor for some of those things, uh, other than that statistics of the the third down drops, which is one that uh, I guess I wouldn't have thought of when we're looking at yard totals and things like that. When it comes to the supporting cast, in the next 10, we'll really get into this conversation, I think. But when you're having, when you're looking at these top quarterbacks, I think of Andrew Luck. I put him number five, which some people might see as high, but the guy won 11 games in a row, three straight years to start his career with an organization that once traded a first round pick for Trent Richardson. I mean, I mean, they were yeah. just not, they were just not good. And here's Andrew Luck making something out of nothing. And even his last season, 31 touchdowns on a team that couldn't block for him at all. So I just try to kind of factor those things the best I can, but you guys have statistical ways to do that. So how, other than the, the third down and long stat or the third down drops that, how do you do that? So you, you look at situations like when a quarterback's clean, right? So, we found that predictively how a quarterback does when they're, when they're not facing pressure is far more predictive of how good he is than when, you know, when he's facing pressure and things like that. So as you talk about with luck, his offensive line struggles. So if he just simply has more throws that we're going to look at negatively, but are probably just noise. Same thing with Russell Wilson. Now Drew Brees, who you have third, and I like Drew Brees a lot. I think I sort of compared him to Tony Gwynn on the air the other day. I think he that's a good comp for him cross sport. But Drew Brees faced the least amount of pressure in the league last season. And so when we look at we look at that, like he simply just has he simply has more favorable conditions than maybe some of the quarterbacks behind him. And so that's how I would shuffle the deck a little bit. But just to answer your question I think more is just, you know, will grade a quarterback positively when he makes a perfect throw, regardless of whether it's caught. So a great example for Ryan last year, 
was against Carolina, Ryan on a fourth down threw a you know perfect deep pass to Julio Jones who dropped it in the back of the end zone. Yes. Not only does Atlanta not win that game, but you know that's a play that's like 50 yards and a touchdown that's taken away from Ryan's statistics. But we would give him what we call a big time throw. We'd give him a positively graded throw there, and so that goes in the PFF data, but not in traditional data. So that's just an example. And that's like kind of just the good work that our graders do. So Alex Smith is a hard one for me too because Alex Smith has had a really good career. He's won a lot of games. He's got an incredible touchdown-interception ratio. And even in the playoffs, his statistics are pretty good. But I still feel weird having him as the ninth-best quarterback in the league, even though he led the NFL in quarterback rating last year. Has Alex Smith changed from what he was before to last year, was it a pop-up season that so many quarterbacks have if you play in the league long enough? You and I were talking about Vinny Testaverde, who played <laughs> until he was 44 but had one good season the entire time. <laughs> I mean, you, you see this, right, from a lot of quarterbacks. It just all of a sudden they're great, and then they go back to being who they are. Am I too high on Alex? No, I, I mean, I think you perfectly summarized my opinion of Alex Smith there. He's had a great, like for a number one overall pick, he's probably disappointing. But on the, on the total, you're talking about a guy who is 88 and 62 as a starter in the NFL, which is pretty good. Inter- touchdown interception ratio, two to one. And he started off later on. And then last season, as you said, he led the league in passer rating. Of course, we, we sort of, we see that there's two plays actually. My, my colleague Steve Palazzolo tweeted out there was one where basically Kansas City ran a screen on, on, instead of a Hail Mary. And Tyreek Hill actually scored on it against Dallas. And then there was a play on a Thursday night against Oakland where the safety came over the top of a deep pass and it basically hit him in the face and Albert Wilson ran it in for a touchdown. So, like, those two completions for 125, 130 yards and two touchdowns probably won him the passer rating title. But, again, it sort of it shows that, you know, how unstable that can be. But I think from our perspective, what's really interesting is I don't – Alex Smith did not – throw more deep passes. He wasn't more aggressive last season than he normally was. He was just more successful doing it. And so he completed more deep passes to more open receivers, and that's how, why he led the league in deep passing yards. It was more of like sort of a supporting cast thing. In 2014, when he literally had zero touchdown passes to wide receivers, like it was just sort of the other side of the coin there. So I think Smith is sort of this perfect example of somebody who I think ha- gives your offense a very high floor and we've actually seen his ceiling is actually not as low as we thought. And uh, having a wide receiver like Tyreek Hill, who's one of the fastest players in the league and the most difficult on a go route, probably helps as compared to some of the receivers he had before. That might play some role in, in why he was so successful going down the field. Now, can we just briefly, before I get to 11 through 20, talk about QB wins for a second because – I've long held this belief, even as an analytics nerd from the baseball days of Bill James saying teams shouldn't bunt so much. I have held this belief that with football, quarterback wins tell you something. They certainly don't tell you everything because you can find a Kerry Collins 12-win season where he threw 12 touchdowns or a uh, Vinny Testaverde, I think he went 11-1 or 12-1 as a starter season. You can find those at random. But over the big picture, Tom Brady has played with all sorts of different types of teams, different levels of talent, different wide receivers. Matt Ryan has played with different head coaches, and he's had 
so much success. Alex Smith, the same thing where he's played with different teams and different coaches. And yet he wins a lot more than he loses. I think that's where I kind of start. And then I work my way down to figure out what type of quarterback he really is, how much the supporting cast played a role in his success and on and on. But if you are a quarterback who consistently wins over a long period of time, I think it says something about who you are. And the same goes for consistently loses or is consistently 500. Yeah, so I'm with you 100% on the when the sample becomes big, then we know a lot more. And that's basically true of anything we measure. But I think the issue is is looking at players, you know, with smaller samples. So the, the classic example I remember is Kyle Orton. Who, you know, threw like so in in Chicago, he was ten and five his first year, two and one his second year, nine and six his third year, and then he started out six and zero with Denver. And it's like you look at that, you're like, oh my gosh, Kyle Orton's a winner, right? And then of <laughs> right. course it falls off the table, and he ends up forty two and forty, perfectly encapsulating our backup quarterback, your backup quarterback theory, right? And so I think, but a, a player like Smith who's played you know, and who has started, you know, 150 games, I think, you know, these things oscillate, but eventually, you know, Alex Smith is a 10 and 6 quarterback, right? Uh, Tom Brady's a 12 and 4 quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger is an 11 5 type quarterback. I think those things, like, as much as, yeah, on a year to year basis, like, they, they can fluctuate, much like we talked about with Ryan. Ryan wasn't, Ryan wasn't a 10 and 6 quarterback last year. He's more of like, but on, but on the, on the season, the season, you know, big sample. I do think it does matter. I do think it matters. And weirdly, you know, the guys that end up, you know, playing for a long time end up, you know, having the records, as, as you said, uh, ind- indicative of being a good quarterback, winning games. It's the most correlated thing in all of football. So it would make sense that it would come out uh, as the sample grows. And I, and I think that when you're talking about a position that's so valuable and so interconnected with winning, that how can you ignore that? If someone has great stats and consistently goes six and 10, it's really hard for me to say, yeah, that guy's just as good as Alex Smith, even if they have the same stats. Because, yeah, maybe things for one year or two years weren't great, but over a long period of time, uh, all of that tends to even out. Teams go up and down. We've seen the Vikings. They were down in the worst defense in the league, and now they're the best defense in the league. It, it was only a few years ago that they're 32nd, and now they're first. So if you're a quarterback for a while, it's just the one issue is you have to be a quarterback for a while. And what we're trying to do often is predict using small sample sizes. So there's better statistics, but a lot of the quarterbacks in the league have been around long enough for us to be able to grade them, including their win loss record. And let me just clarify the, uh, the backup quarterback theory, which I stole from John Clayton of ESPN, formerly of ESPN Uh, Clayton, talking about Kyle Orton said he's the perfect backup quarterback because if you lose your starter for four games, he'll go two and two and the best backups you'll ever get are 500 starters. And I I thought, man, that's right on. And it blows your mind. How many of those longtime backups like Sean Hill and and guys like that end up with 500 records. So I just brought up Sean Hill 17 and 18 as a starter. Perfect. The perfect perfect backup quarterback. That's exactly what you want. Um, so let me move on to 11 through 20. Philip Rivers, 11. Cam Newton, 12. Jared Goff, 13. Kirk Cousins, 14. Jimmy Garoppolo, 15. Dak Prescott, 16. Patrick Mahomes, 17. Derek Carr, 18. 19, Deshaun Watson. 
and 20, Marcus Mariota. Now, let me say before you comment on my 11 through 20, this is the hardest part of of the top 10. I think most people would have the same. 11 through 20 is a real challenge to figure out who to have in there. Absolutely, and and a lot goes into it, right? So last season we had you know Marcus Mariota, for example, who's on the bottom of this of this group. Um, he had a very good PFF grade. He also threw the most clean pocket interceptions in the NFL a season ago, but but you know was relatively middle of the pack to better you know part of the league in terms of turnover worthy plays. So like with Mariota is a perfect example of when your supporting cast simply does not do well and you're in sort of an antiquated offense. I think they they ran the least amount of receivers in the pattern of any team in the league last year. So he li- literally didn't have as many targets to throw to as everybody else. Like, that's how you can go from, I think, a very promising player, and I would still, you know, I think bet on him being pretty good in the future, to being kind of down in, like you said, the, the toughest group of individuals to, to cluster up. Same thing here with, like, Dak Prescott. I think people are a lot more bullish on him last season. You have a, a, a tougher year uh, a season ago, and then you take away, you know, Des Bryant, Jason Witten, and his supporting cast. Now, I think handicapping him in the middle of the league is probably fair. Um, Carr is a similar story. People were very high on him after he took Oakland to 12-4, and a little less so now. Um, I'm interested in what your reasoning for Deshaun Watson at 19 would be. Well, I think that some people are far too high on Deshaun Watson from some highlight reels that they want to say he's way up there um, because he made some really great throws and had that fantastic game against Seattle. And I I think that there are your statistics for PFF that are not as high on Deshaun Watson because he had so many throws behind the line of scrimmage and it seemed like they really designed a lot in Houston, especially because he was a rookie, to protect some of his weaknesses and he was downright bad in the preseason and lost that job. A lot of people said, hey, wh- how could you not have him as the day one starter? Well, his preseason was awful. And I'm really interested in him. I-, I like him a lot. I liked him at Clemson a lot. And I think that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I think the people who think he's going to be a league MVP are a little too far on him. And I also think that maybe he's a little better than pff's grade on him because he will continue to take steps forward and they can open up the playbook for him yeah i mean i think you handy i think you you, you know, put it down per, pretty well you know for us what we saw uh deandre hopkins led the nfl in yards generated on wide receiver screens right the almost almost none of that is attributable to the quarterback um he had a lot of turnover worthy plays where he was bailed out um, and then the other thing is, is we do this interesting like way of clustering throws. And basically we're trying to do this to project college players, but essentially there's a collection of throws that translate to the NFL. And there's a collection of throws that everybody at, in, at the NFL level can make. Yeah. And Houston's team generated the most expected points on those passes mm-hmm. than anybody else in the league. Right. So, so I think you're absolutely right on Watson. I think I'm also with you, whereas I, I think he'll be a good quarterback someday. But in terms of projecting him this year, you know, my, my colleague and I, George Shahuri, we do basically like projections. We have, uh, the, we have the Houston, Houston's win total of eight and a half. We have the under on that because we just don't, I, I don't think Houston's like four and a half wins better than they were a year ago, even with Watson back. If Watson played half a season, we're, I think a little bit, uh, you know, it's weird, but we're a little split on him. We think he'll be a good player eventually, but we think a lot of people are overrating him right now. 
So Patrick Mahomes was really hard for me because I'm super high on Patrick Mahomes, but he's played one game. Uh, that one game, he showed some spectacular ability. He's got an incredible arm. I think he's got a good mind for the game. He's, he's a teachable type of player. And I don't think that Andy Reid would bail on a safe quarterback like Alex Smith for Patrick Mahomes unless he really believed in him. So that one's kind of a leap of faith for me to have him as a as a mid-quarterback. But I think he has the potential to be sort of one of the next great ones in the generation because of his arm. And and the and the reason he slides into the middle of this group is because he has Travis Kelsey who led the NFL from the tight end position in yards after the catch. He led the NFL from the tight end position in deep receiving yards, yards on balls 20, 20 yards or more in the air. Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Kareem Hunt, a pretty good offensive line, and Andy Reid, right? Like, if you want to talk about the perfect situation to put a quarterback in, he's probably it. And Kansas City's defense is quite weak. So he'll have a lot of opportunities to throw the ball. Cam Newton's the other one that would be highly debatable. Some people really don't like Cam. Some people really, really like Cam. Cam is 12 going on number one or number 31. I mean, he he could be any of those things th- this year. You could see, especially with Norv Turner and maybe an older school offense and relying on an offensive line a lot if he takes deep drops, that you could see him struggling quite a bit, or you just you could see improved weapons for them, and then he's an MVP again because he just has this wide, wide variation of things that he could be, which I, is very different from someone like Kirk Cousins, where I think Kirk Cousins at his best versus his worst is not that far apart as opposed to Newton, which is incredibly far apart. Yeah, and I think the thing that people have to remind themselves when it comes to Cam is that he's a rare case where he actually provides a lot of value as a designed runner for his team. Yeah. And so, so when, you know, he's not just a scrambler, he's not, you know, but you're right. He was in the cl- first cluster for us the year he was an MVP. He was in the third tier last year and he was in a tier with guys like Trevor Simeon, Deshaun Kaiser, and Blake Gabbert simply because there are some statistics with regard to how he throws the ball that can vary so wildly season to season. Since we've been charting how often a quarterback overthrows his target, Cam Newton is head and shoulders above everybody else. So, like, he's simply not a very accurate thrower. But at the same time, like, you know, those, he can have a year where Ted Ginn gets behind the defense ten times and he puts up MVP numbers. So I think, like, Cam Newton, quite frankly, would be a perfect quarterback during the, like, 1995 games that we love to watch on YouTube. <laughs> he's just simply not the he's, – he's like a throwback in many ways. And, and in a league where you have the guys like Brady and Ryan and Breeze and Rivers that are very precise, he just sort of is, like, weirdly inefficient at times and very high variance. Other guy that was hard for me was Jimmy Garoppolo because those last five games were ridiculous. But uh, is it going to continue to be that way over 16 games? I don't know yet. He's a guy that has the potential to be in that top 10, similarly to the way I look at um, Patrick Mahomes, that the talent is there, but I'm just going to have to see it a lot more when you have such a small sample size he is set up really well with his head coach, Kyle Shanahan. We saw what he did for Matt Ryan, and it wouldn't surprise me if he makes a lot out of someone like 
Jarek McKinnon, for example, and he's going to have Pierre Garçon coming back. He's a very good and underrated wide receiver. I, I, I think I've got like question marks all over that one. 15 is the safest place I could go with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, and, and actually how he graded in our system, he would have been top tier during that short period of time last year. As you said, great situation. And honestly, I think a situation that you would, where it's the GM and the coach and the quarterback, all with five-year basically guarantees, I think what you really have is a lot of security there, which I think, you, you know, you can thrive in. Um, they, they drafted a left tackle in the first round. They did a lot, I think, to improve their defense, uh, getting Sherman. They already were developing guys in the secondary. They drafted defensive linemen for years. Uh, Ruben Foster's a good linebacker, all those kinds of things. And, and they are a new age offense where they're sort of throwing back to having, throwing out of, you know, multiple tight end, multiple running back sets, which is super efficient. And it, it appears that Garoppolo is good there. And they have the guys with, as you said, McKinnon, uh, Hughes check, uh, George Kittle, and, and Marquise Goodwin almost had a thousand yards a season ago, uh, in that offense. So I think that, you know, they're, they're, I, I'm very high on Garoppolo. I think, you know, as you said, the sample is just too small necessarily to put him in that like top 10, top five conversation. But uh, I think he's just a few, a few good games next year away from being in that, in that group. So what can we say of, about the middle tier quarterbacks in the league? Like, is there a big statement to be made about these guys? Mine would just be almost every single one of them on a year to year basis could be in the top 10. It's just whether they're going to be there or not is very hard to say. Yeah, I think the difference is our style, you know, in many ways, and supporting cast. So, for example, Newton, we talked about, super high variance. He could take it. He's he's got the cards in his deck to to go to the Super Bowl, as we've seen. Um, somebody like, you know, maybe somebody who's a little bit more conservative, like, and I know Bradford's not necessarily in this list, but back, but Bradford played for Minnesota. He his deck of cards is just simply smaller, right? So he's not going to hurt you too much, but he's also we haven't seen that high ceiling yet. Um, maybe somebody like uh, Jared Goff is also similar. Uh, Derek Carr. Like I think when you're when you're parsing through there, Kirk Cousins. When you're par- parsing through those quarterbacks, I think you kind of want the Jameis Winston's, the 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 uh, Mahomes, the guys that are high variance because the goal of the NFL is to win the Super Bowl, not necessarily to you know finish in the top, you know finish ten and six. So um, if you're not going to have a truly elite guy. I think you want a guy who's got a wide deck because then you can string together a bunch of really good cards. Okay, I'm going to give you my bottom 12 here. And again, some of them I'm not sure who's starting here. And that would probably change if it was Josh Rosen and not Sam Bradford, but I think it's probably going to be Bradford. So I just took my best guess. So 21 is Mitch Trubisky. Very much we'll see on him. Uh, 22 is Sam Bradford. 23, Ryan Tannehill. 24, Case Keenum. 25, Tyrod Taylor. 26, Sam Darnold, with the potential to be very much higher. 27, Eli Manning. 28, Andy Dalton. 29, Blake Bortles. 30, Joe Flacco. 31, Josh Allen. And dead last, for me, a guy who I would always take any other quarterback in the league is Jameis Winston. But that doesn't entirely have to do with his play on the field. Though, let me just say that I don't really like his play on the field either, Eric. I, I mean, he throws a ton of interceptions. He fumbles all the time. He got a ton of his yards based on you know, garbage time last year, especially we saw that in Minnesota. I am just, I am super, super low on Jameis Winston. 
Yeah, whereas I think I'd probably be a little higher just on his ability. Um, I do think that he's a guy who can, you know, have kind of lack of a better comparison, a Cam Newton type of, uh, type of output. But, um, but yeah, I think the, the personal, the personal issues, you know, having to basically lead a franchise is, is part of the equation. And that's why I'm not really going to, to ding you for having him that low. And that's a major part of it for me when I evaluate the quarterbacks is what kind of leadership are we talking about here? And so with him, uh, he doesn't eat many W's so far in his career. And we saw someone like Andrew Luck, who was tabbed as a historically good prospect, step right in and win games for his team. Jameis Winston has won nothing for his team so far. And um, I, I think he was probably an overvalued prospect that people – overlooked some of the personality stuff people overlooked some of the turnovers which is a huge deal for me and i would rather take old guys who i know are not good or prospects than winston so that that's out of the way the rest of them though let me tell you the the ones that were hard for me here because i i think i'm good on like the bradford's keenum's tyrod taylor's the one that's the one's hard is mitch trubisky because i just don't know i mean his rookie year was okay but he's got john fox as his quarterback his Kendall Wright is his best wide receiver, and Kendall Wright comes to Minnesota and is practicing with the second team. I mean, he's the hardest one to figure out, and I think after this year we will have a much better feeling for him. Yeah, I mean, if he's going to be successful, I think – well, so the Bears have put themselves in a position where he is – if he's unsuccessful, it's his fault, you know, because they have – you know, they brought in Robinson, they brought in Gabriel, they drafted Miller – uh, Trey Burton, um, they have a good stable of running backs and Matt Nagy was a, you know, I, he didn't call the plays all the time for Kansas City, but he was in that room with Andy Reid. And so I do think that that is a, a place where, um, you know, if, if he's going to be good, we're going to find out. And Sam Bradford is tough too, because we know about his arm, but we also know about his knees. Um, Ryan Tannehill is another guy that's had the injuries but showed flashes in there. Eli Manning is an interesting one for me because he's going to have Pat Shermer in charge now. And Odell Beckham comes back. He had a ton of drops last year in just a really messy situation with maybe the league's worst and in-over-his-head head coach in, in the entire NFL. Could Eli bounce back or is he just shot? I mean, he, they do have some weapons now with, you know, with Beckham, Barclay, Ingram, Shepard. So, and their offensive line is slightly improved, but we have them as projected as one of the worst teams to lead next year. They have to play the NFC South. They have to play the AFC South. Um, they have to play their own division, which includes the Eagles twice. Like, I just don't, like, I think Eli's going to be in, in tough position. And so he hasn't been great. And I just don't necessarily know if the if the environment for him is going to be such that he can improve. He certainly is not getting a stronger arm as years go on. He's never a, like a super brilliant decision maker. So I just don't know if he's got necessarily what it takes to kind of have a, a late career like renaissance. And uh, Tyrod Taylor is one that's debated constantly by Internet.com. And it's, it's crazy <laughs> how people are with Tyrod Taylor. I mean, I covered his best season and what I saw was a lot of one-score games that his team lost, and 
they blew having a really good defense, and they blew having some really great playmakers like Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods and Chris Hogan, I think, was on the team too. Um, and uh, LaShawn McCoy they had at the time, a good offensive line. And a lot of that, in my mind, rested on Tyrod Taylor for why they didn't win so much. And then their team got worse, and he got worse along with it. I look at him as a bottom-tier quarterback who's a place filler, as he is right now for Baker Mayfield. Is there anything to argue that he is different than that? Uh, you know, he he's, I think, in a perfect position for him for him now in the sense that he's the type of quarterback you'd want to have as a, as a you know, 1B. And, and I think so he grades well in our system – you know, he, and that's a lot because he just simply does not throw turnover worthy type plays. Um, he doesn't, uh, he runs, which I think in many ways can get you a, like a higher floor as an offense. Mm-hmm. So he does some good things. Um, but I do, I do agree with you in the sense that, you know, there are, there are just, there's a, there's a very low ceiling to him. You saw it in the playoff game against Jacksonville, like where you just at seven points seemed like an insurmountable lead, uh, once, once Jacksonville took it. Um, so I, I, I mean, I, I think, I think he's probably more in the middle of the pack, but I do think that in the current state he's in, he's going to do a, I think a good job for the Browns in terms of like making them respectable, kind of, you know, kind of like what he did with the Bills, kind of respectable for long enough for them, for the real quarterback to sort of take over. Underrated part of being a great quarterback is, in my mind, throwing the ball when someone's covered and be willing to know that you have the arm to make that play and make a great throw. Uh, It's something that Kirk Cousins has been criticized for a bit in Washington. Uh, It's something that Sam Bradford uh, was criticized on this here podcast in 2016 for. Tyrod Taylor is the poster boy of won't throw the ball, will not throw the football. Like, the reason he doesn't throw any interceptions is because he won't throw the ball. Like, I mean, sometimes you're going to have picks when you try to make a risky throw, and it will happen. And he consistently is the most sacked quarterback when they had a good offensive line. Cordy Glenn is a good left tackle, and he gets sacked a ton because he won't throw it. And then, in the same way, he won't just run either sometimes. It'll be like, okay, run or pass, run or pass, and, and neither. What comes to mind for me, 2016, they were up. They were fighting for a playoff spot. They were up on the Oakland Raiders, like two scores. And they're backed into their own end zone. And he drops back and waits and waits and waits and finally lets it go. And it's tipped by someone rushing up the middle, turns into a pick six. Oakland comes back and wins. Like That's Tyrod Taylor for me. And unless he's going to change his stripes, I've got to have him in the bottom because I just don't think you can win that many games with a guy who won't throw the ball when when he needs to do it. Um, any any other ones that stuck out to you there with, you know, Trubisky, Bradford, Tannehill is a really hard one to figure out. I just don't know what to do with Sam Darnold yet. I think he struggles right away but gets a lot better. Uh, is Dalton even debatable at this point? At one time he was, but I don't think he is now. Yeah, I think back, and again, this is supporting cast driven, but back when their offensive line had Whitworth and, and- uh, among other, you know, back when Andre Smith was actually good and they had, you know, Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu and a, and a good running game, right? He elevated himself into the conversation. But I think now it's going to be tough for him. Uh, same thing with Flacco. Uh, I'm, I'm interested. I, I'm happy, but also interested that Bortles is, you know, 28, 29. 
uh, because I'm, you know, I, that's what I think of him, and I and I don't necessarily know if making the playoffs last year was enough for us to say, okay, he's arrived. Um, the thing with Darnold that's, that's interesting is the Jets traded like three top 50 picks to get him, mm-hmm. right? And so that like puts you behind the eight ball immediately. What did the Colts do? What did the Colts do with those picks? They drafted two guards, right? Mm-hmm. And so like when you're talking about putting a, a something around a rookie quarterback, that matters. And so I think your your handicap of Darnold here is pretty good as well. So give my uh, give my whole list a letter grade compared to what Pro Football Focus might say if you ranked all the quarterbacks. How much would mine match up with the analytic list? Yeah, I, well, I think the tiers. Are, I mean, Winston's a tough one, so let's throw him out there because we'd probably put him more in the middle, just on based on talent alone and and things like that. Um, I would say let's go with a B plus, A minus. Okay. The Winston one is different, though, because he's suspended for the first three games because he groped an Uber driver and probably deserved a yeah. hell of a lot more games than that. Considering yeah. his background and everything else, it looked like the NFL cut a deal with him so he wouldn't fight it because they keep losing when people fight these things. So, I mean, it's just what yeah, a it, messy, disastrous situation. And a guy I could never trust, that is not based on whether he could throw the football or not. Yeah, right. It's interesting, right? Because you look at, and, and it's sort of part of the conversation, you know, with fans talk about Newton and Winston in the same breath, for example. And it's totally, there's this latent variable I can't, you know, but uh, essentially Newton's been a, a basically a class act, a, a model citizen. Winston hasn't, they, but they basically have the same NFL throw profile, right? And so, like, they get lumped in it. But, yeah, I mean, Winston is a totally different case. Uh, and, but, uh, you know, on the same, on the same side of the coin, from a purely football throwing the ball perspective, I think, you know, there could be a case to be made for Winston. But as you said, you know, with his, with his personal, you know, issues, I, 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 I can't argue necessarily with putting him all the way down there. And there's a lot of variables here too on this list. Um, Joe Flacco is on my list, but wouldn't it be something if Joe Flacco lost the job? Like if he just, would you even be surprised if they went into training camp and it was, okay, we're going to split some reps or get Lamar a handful of reps, and then Lamar is way better than Joe Flacco, which I think he is, and he's an explosive runner and he's making throws, and then he goes into the preseason and lights it up. Then all of a sudden, like this list changes a lot. Or if Josh Rosen beats out Sam Bradford, that would be something. Um, so, you know, from year to year, from week to week, these things can change. But, um, uh, I, I feel like with the NFL, what's interesting to me, Eric, is just where we are from different times in my life watching football, where it, you've always had your top guys. You've always, okay, it's Elway, it's Kelly, it's, you know, Marino, that sort of thing. But the guys in the middle, there used to be so many that you knew were bad, and you're just like, well, you know, okay, he's he's 16th, but he's awful. Now, I don't think that. I think that there's probably 20 to 25 good quarterbacks in the league, and it's just different colors of good. Yeah, and you, you had a, a guest on your podcast, I think last week, you said, like, almost all of the quarterback situations are resolved, you know, whereas back in the day, you know, you had – I mean, it seemed like every year the Vikings were going to their backups to actually win this game. I don't remember and anything about that. <laughs> so, so now it's it's one of those where you know, 
liver, you know, all these, all these teams, like, are with the exception of probably Baltimore, as you said, and, and maybe, maybe the Jets, but they're like, they're going into the season and Blake Bortles is the Jaguars quarterback. No matter what happens, they're going to sink or swim with him. And, and that's something that I think, you know, over time has, has really evolved. These teams are sort of investing and, and sort of like setting it and forgetting it at the quarterback position. I think the interesting question is, what is the optimal way of doing that? Mm-hmm. You know, if you have, if you, let's say that you have a quarterback, let's say, you know, if you're Tampa Bay or if you're, uh, uh, you're Los Angeles, the Rams, and in a couple of years you have to re-up Jared Goff, and he does not, he doesn't approach the top dozen quarterbacks. Do you give him that big mega deal and essentially suppress the rest of your roster for a guy whose ceiling is 11 and 5? You know what I'm saying? Or is the way to go is to cut bait on a quarterback who's good but not in the top tier just for the chance of drafting one that could be? And, and, you know, coming back with the, the salary like that. That's why I think the Vikings decision to sign Cousins is so interesting because they went for the kind of, I think, relatively low ceiling player for, but at high money. We'll see how that one works out. So this kind of goes even a level deeper with where we stand in America with quarterbacks and just how a lot of them start from a young age with quarterback coaches and they learn the game to an extreme detail before they're even throwing passes as a junior or senior in high school and they go to all these camps with professional quarterbacks and things like that. Their parents pay for this sort of stuff or or maybe they – um, you know, come from a really successful high school that's running a high level offense that's just like a college offense because you have so much access to how to create a college or NFL offense, uh, with, you know, from a small high school in Texas or something that by the time they're getting to being an NFL quarterback, the, I think the variation is more. It's like, okay, so John Elway comes in the league and he's just this freak athlete. He's better than everybody else. Jim Kelly, unbelievable arm, freak athlete. That's one of the reasons he's the best. Turns out he's got a good mind for the game, calling the no huddle and all that sort of thing too. Uh, but nobody had his arm, and that was really what it was about. Can you throw the ball uh, for, to, to more of an extent than it is now, where I think that the offensive coordinators dictate a lot of the success, and there might be a good argument for if you're not 100% sure that guy can win you the Super Bowl anytime soon and do it, while dragging a less talented roster, I mean, maybe we get to a point where there's a team that drafts a guy, builds up their roster for year four, dumps the guy, drafts another guy. I mean, we may get to that point where a team does that. Yeah, or sells them to a team that's maybe a little bit less, you know, uh, attuned to the to the situation, right? Much like, you know, this is a random example, but what the A's used to do with closers, right? You get a guy... You know, you'd let him close games, you'd puff up his stats, you'd trade him off, right? I mm-hmm. mean, and quarterback's obviously more important than closer, but it's kind of a similar idea where, you know, these other teams might think, oh, you know, Joe Flack, like, do you think the Bengals are happy they re-signed Dalton to such a big deal? Right. Or, you know, like, is Tampa Bay going to, if Tampa Bay does re-up Winston, are they going to regret it? I, you know, that, that kind of thing. Eli Manning, you know, Joe Flacco, all those, you know, even Oakland with Derek Carr, I wonder, in three years from now, are they going to regret, you know, uh, investing so much money into him? Uh, last thing for you, Eric, because I know you love this. You dug up a game on YouTube from 1994, Minnesota Vikings against New England Patriots. And the Drew Bledsoe-era Patriots were super fun, though not that successful. 
but a really entertaining team to watch that threw the football all the time. I did a story on them once where they literally refused to run the football after like week four, and they went on a big (laughs) winning streak, and one of those wins came against the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings got up in this particular game 20 to nothing, and Drew Bledsoe, on the back of 70 pass attempts and three (laughs) touchdowns, brings them back to win in overtime. What a gem you found in this game. Yeah, so 70 passes would be a lot now. But, yeah, so Bledsoe went 45 of 70 for 426 yards, which sounds impressive, but that's, that's basically, what, six yards a pass? Yeah. Um, three touchdowns, no pick. The, 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 if you take out the two Bledsoe runs, the uh, Marion Butts and Leroy Thompson combined for 10 carries for the Patriots in this one. Uh, three guys, uh, Ben Coates, Michael, Michael Timpson, and Leroy Thompson both had 10 or more catches in the game. It was pretty crazy. The Vikings, uh, yeah, there was nothing really of note here. No sacks, no interceptions. Uh, they were basically a Vikings defense who led the NFL in rush defense was really no, uh, no, uh, match for this New England team on the up and up here. And Warren Moon goes 26 for 42 with 349 yards and a touchdown and loses this football game. It's incredible. I, you're right. That Vikings, and I think that that Vikings team, uh, Flatter Vase led the NFL in points, I think. There was a team like that was basically riddled by not being able to score close. And that's, I think, what happened in this game. They got, you know, a deep touchdown to Cadre Ismail, but other than that, they kind of had to fill field goals. Had to, and basically after getting up 20 to nothing, they didn't score again. So, uh, very, you know, I think it was a Vikings team that set the, the team record in total yards or maybe total passing yards. It was kind of middle of the pack in scoring. It was a really interesting, interesting year for the Purple. So as I was watching this back, I was sending you messages saying, I hate Drew Bledsoe. He was overrated. <laughs> He's so bad. And I, he just drove me crazy that everyone thought he was so good. He just threw the ball a lot. And that was it. It was a top draft pick. And at the end of the game, he's got a chance to win it and makes three terrible throws in a row. One's off his back foot when he's not even pressured. He misses a wide-open receiver. And I was like, and I didn't know the result of this game. I was like, yeah, that's typical Bledsoe, and I thought you might have sent me a win for the Vikings. And then he drops the most incredible dime in the end zone to win the game in overtime from 35 yards out, just right over the shoulder on a go route. And uh, New England gets the win. So, unfortunately, I was wrong about that one. Bledsoe was, the, like the guys we were talking about, who could be the absolute best or, or just the worst and drive you crazy, that was definitely Drew Bledsoe. Yeah, he was the guy, I think, like, in 94, he made the Pro Bowl despite throwing 27 interceptions that year <laughs> because he threw 700 passes and, like, had 4,500 yards. So they literally stopped running the ball. But no one would sniff the Pro Bowl nowadays, even with the expanded guys like bowing out if you threw 25 touchdowns and 27 picks. But then the next year, he went 6-10. and 10. The year after that, they went to the Super Bowl, right? So he was very much the high variance, the Cam Newton type of, of player. And, and, you know, the completion percentage, he was a 57.2% completion uh, percentage guy, which nowadays would make him a complete bum but back in the day he was making pro bowls so just really interesting how that how the game has evolved definitely and every old game we watch this one didn't have any picks but almost every single time there is a hilarious interception that you just can't believe a team will be up 
two touchdowns and Boomer Esiason flings it into triple coverage. You just think, man, that is crazy how many picks used to happen. And it's sort of taken away a little bit of the fun that there are fewer interceptions, but uh, it just doesn't happen as much now. So anyway, Eric, uh, this was all sorts of fun. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And feel free if you want to email your own lists or write them out on your cellular device and screenshot it and tweet it at either one of us. Um, or give your feedback to my list. Uh, we're going to post all of ours uh, on the website, so that'll be fun. Feel free to do that. And, Eric, we will talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast.